On Monday, August 8th, Tall Can Audio hits 1,000 episodes. Wait, that's still on? Who could possibly still care? And the gang is all here to celebrate. It's euphoric. It's got to be close to Nirvana. It's outstanding. For the first time ever, Maddie, Michaela, Rob, and Matt are all live in studio together. It's happening, you guys! It's happening! Oh my god! Oh my god! I wish you all were here! Is this likely to go well? Just check my notes here. No! At least it will make a lot of noise. Boom. Here comes the boom. A thousand pods and a thousand pints. I don't think I've ever been as proud in my entire life. TCA 1000 drops Monday, August 8th, wherever you find low-quality podcasts. Fuck, it's out of control. Shit. TCA studio in beautiful Bytown, Canada. This is Tall Can Audio, Canada's number one craft beer fueled sports show. There's only so much time we can kill here before we start to spin our wheels. I've had time to run, but I'm still here. Here's your host, Light the Candle, Matt Robinson. Watch us while we spin our wheels. Welcome inside episode 993 of the Talk and Audio podcast as we continue our crawl towards 1000 and we circle back around and visit with some friends of the show. Happy to be welcoming back today our pal Dr. Vicki Forster's here. How's it going? Hey Matt, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm uh, I'm very good. I, I'm anxious to to talk to you here. I know you've done a little traveling, and uh, I'm anxious to hear about that. I know you've tried a couple of new uh, of new beers down in the Toronto area. I'm anxious to hear about that. Uh, before we get to that, we're on Twitter and Instagram at Talk and Audio. If the good listener wants to give us a follow there, we'd love to hear what you think about these episodes. And of course, make sure you're subscribed wherever you're hearing us right now. And I'll let everybody know that on uh, Monday morning's show, Steve Lloyd from TSN 1200 here in uh, Ottawa will be joining me and uh, we'll catch up with him. It's been a little while. Like I said, we're trying to talk to as many of our, uh, as many of our friends as we can before we hit that 1000 mark. Uh, Dr. Vicky, what are we drinking today? So I actually have two that I'm going to talk about, but one's non-alcoholic, if okay. that's okay. That's totally fair. So- um, so, but it is from a brewery. So uh, I have been drinking these non-alcoholic seltzers from Dominion City Brewery. Oh, nice! That's and, right you here know, in the, Yeah, yeah. A lot of the uh, breweries, you know, have kind of expanded. Whether they're doing like you know gin smashes or like vodka-based things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I think has actually been really nice is a lot of them are, are doing these non-alcoholic uh, drinks as well. Yep. And I got to say, these folks who have this brand, I guess, uh, from Dominion City called City Seltzer. I don't know whether you've tried them. I actually haven't. They are terrific. Like, by far the tastiest ones I have tried. Hmm. Um, They're just like flavored sparkling water, but it really tastes like you're having something which is like a little bit special. Like, it's not just a bubbly or, you know, plain old sparkling water. It actually tastes terrific. They do, um, they do a nice job at Dominion City and they like experiment with a lot of stuff. They branch out and, and try these things and uh, they're not afraid to try different flavors. Are these like, they have a bunch of different flavors of them or is there just the one? Yeah, I think there's maybe four or five. Now I've tried them before because they're all over Toronto and like bakeries or cafes or, 
you know, the slightly fancier kind of shops. Mm-hmm. But I hadn't tried, I think I'd only tried one flavor before then. And then I went to a field trip, the the music festival that, oh, yeah. that's on here in Toronto a few weeks ago. And these folks were there just handing out free free cans of this, of this seltzer. And bless them, it was so hot, so, so hot. I must have had about four or five free cans from, <laughs> from them, as did my partner, as did the friend. So we actually got to try all of the flavors, and every single one was great. So my favorite is the, they call it Cool Melon, okay, which is uh, melon and cucumber. <laughs> uh, my partner likes the creamsicle one which is orange and vanilla. That sounds And apparently, I've never had a creamsicle, but apparently it tastes like a creamsicle. Okay. Um, so anyway, we ordered we ordered two crates uh, from them because it does kind of as also a thanks for hydrating us so well <laughs> during this very, very hot festival. But um, yeah, this stuff's terrific, so I'd recommend it to anyone. Okay, um, see, I'm intrigued by that because, uh, like I said, I, I like most of what Dominion City does. Almost all of it, oh, I shouldn't say almost all, but a lot of their stuff seems to come in the... Uh, in the smaller cans, but at a higher alcohol percentage. So I'm surprised to hear now, yeah, they've dialed a rate down to zero. That's uh, a little outside the norm for them. But a lot of people are, like you said, getting into the seltzers, whether they be alcoholic yeah, or not. Re- and in the summer, they're gorgeous, right? Like, Yeah, really, really good. Um, as I said, I think the collective arts do good ones as well. The flavored waters and, you know, I've tried a few of them, but they, these are my favorites so far that I've, I've tried. Okay. Um, and I do have a beer cause I kind of, when we said we were going to chat, I, uh, I was like, oh, I can have a beer because I'm actually not working at the moment, so it's fine to have an afternoon beer. Um, And what I have is, to be honest, I just found it in the fridge. A friend of mine gave it to me quite a while ago now, uh, but it tastes fine. And it's called Bumbleberry Cheesecake. And it's a lactose beer from Bellwoods here in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And it's very good. It is actually very good. Um, It's not a beer I would generally try. Somebody brought it to me as a gift. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a bright pink purple color. (laughs) And it, it does taste a bit a bit like a berry cheesecake. So, yeah, not much more to say about it. It's tasty. What's the percentage um, on that one? That's a 5.5. Okay, yeah. So keeping yeah. her between the lines. That's uh, Bellwoods. They make nice stuff too. I like them a lot. Yeah, yeah. No, they, I, I sometimes, I'm not a massive fan of like hazy, what I call chunky beers. Right. It's not chunky. You understand <laughs> what I mean. But I like that hazy and beers that you can't see through very much. Right. Um, cool. Bellwoods, all of them. Bellwoods make pretty much of those beers, so I don't I don't do too many Bellwoods beers. But yeah, this is this is good. Can't fault it. I got a couple things in the fridge that I was sort of circling through. What do I want to try today? Actually, I had a birthday about a month ago, and so someone got oh, me. A, thank you very much. And uh, someone got me um, a gift of the like one of those monthly you know beer subscription kind of things, and so. Right. Um, the one that I guess I'm signed up for here is called uh, Beer Butler. And uh, nice. so there was a few different selections from around the province in there. And uh, what I got here today is from the Redline Brewing Company, which is out of Barrie. And this is, uh, where did it go? Underglow IPA, Session IPA. Is it still pretty early on a Friday as we sit here, right? And we'll see how the day is going to go. But we'll start things off here with a nice, easy uh, Session IPA. It comes in about 4.1%. Underglow, they say it's got um, uh, some citrus to it. And on my first sip here, I got to be honest with you, I feel like I'm getting just a tiny bit of coconut off of it as well, which is always kind of nice. nice. Yeah, almost like a like an island drink here, kind of fruity, kind of coconutty. So um, uh, obviously with far less punch to it than uh, typically what they're serving you down there. So um, yeah, pretty nice here. This is the first thing I think I've ever had off of uh, or out of Redline and... Um, not too bad at all. What did you see, uh, or who did you see over at uh, at Field Trip? 
So who, to be honest, there was a lot of people there who I didn't massively recognize. Mm. Um, I, I, I do listen to like Canadian music, but of course, most of my favorite bands are bands that I knew before I came here. Sure. Um, who was really good. Uh, Lucy Dacus was really good. I think she's American. Right. Um, she was, she was really, really good. My friend really liked her. So looking forward to it. Uh, there was this band called the, um, or DJs, I think they were called the hallucinations. Okay. Um, I think, I don't know where they're exactly from, but they, um, fuse like, uh, indigenous like music and dance, mm-hmm. uh, to almost make a DJ set. And their set was really cool. That's nice. Yeah. Um, they actually, one of their songs I recognized was on one of the, I think it was the Sportsnet hockey adverts that was running all winter. Oh yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah, I can't, I can't quite describe it, but it was one of the ones kind of celebrating diversity in hockey. Sure. And they were in like a dark rink skating around and the yeah, music. okay. Right. The music that was on there was from the, this band. Hmm. Um, so when that started playing, I was like, I know this. <laughs> <laughs> Having watched hockey all winter. Right. Um, and then the headliner was Nathaniel Rateliff. Oh, and nice. The and he was, yeah, they were really, really good. Um, like I know a few, a few of their songs. To be honest, I bought the ticket just because it was an outdoor music festival sure, and I yeah. miss live music, but yeah. I'm not. Uh, personally, I'm not going inside for concerts, so I just wanted to see some live music. And uh, yeah, he was really good, and his band was really good. You can tell when people are just like terrific musicians, right? Like he wasn't just playing to track; they were messing around, having fun. Like people who really get music. Um, so it was really great to watch. Well, that's so, cool. yeah, I enjoyed it because I, ha- I I know a couple of their songs, like just whatever is on the radio, right? I know their hits or or whatever, but I'm certainly not like a huge fan of it. But that is one of those bands that, like you say, an outdoor summer festival, you could get me to come down, have a beer or two, and watch that, right? It sounds uh, not too bad. Where was it? It was at Fort York in Toronto. Oh, nice, so, yeah. but you know what the best thing about this festival was? You know, festivals you normally get you know, terrible beer. Yes. <laughs> like your Molson Canadians and that kind of thing. There were <laughs> That's your the, go-to the terrible beer. The beer offering at this festival <laughs> yes. was two breweries and it was Collective Arts and Town Brewing. I remember you tweeting that. That's gorgeous, right? It's not going to get better than that. Right. And the beer was probably less expensive than you would expect. It was it was expensive. It was like I don't know, 12 bucks a can or something. Sure. But like in Toronto, you could pay that or more for a can of Molson. Right. So the fact that you would pay that for a good can of local quality craft beer was excellent. So I really appreciated that. I saw the hip over at Fort York years ago now, like 06, 07, something like that. I think that's the only concert I've seen there, but it's a pretty cool spot for an outdoor festival. Um, yeah, it's great. You can, I mean, there's all the like skyscrapers in the background yes. and the Gardner Expressway kind of runs right next to it. It's just, <laughs> you see all these cars and trucks going, going around and then you see, can see the CN tower and, but it's green space. It's, it's quite nice. It right? is. It's kind of cool to be like kind of on this historic spot where you get a little bit picturesque and then, yeah, you turn around and you're like, oh shit, there's a whole city right behind me. Right. Um, exactly. So, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, I know you were back home for a little bit, finally, uh, for the first time since before the pandemic. What'd you get up to back in jolly old England? Yeah. Um, excuse me. Long, very long, very overdue trip. Uh, spent two and a half weeks there and I think I saw, I don't know, not everybody I've ever known, but you know, after two and a half years away, there was a lot of, a lot of people <laughs> to see. Um, so it was incredible, but also exhausting. Yes. <laughs> So I, uh, I got my mum's car, which is my old car, you know, that I gave her before I came to Canada, mm-hmm. which she gave me 
before that. <laughs> so I gave it back and then she gave it back to me um, to do it. You know, it's getting on a bit now to do its sort of last last big trip. Right. Um, and I must have driven about, I don't know, 1,200 miles in about <laughs> 10 days, um, which doesn't sound like a lot in Canada terms. It's but enough, yeah. In, you know, that, that, that pretty much was the entirety of England and Wales. <laughs> Um, I kid you not, like I did, I went up to Newcastle, which is where I went to college and where uh, some of my dearest friends still live. Uh, I then went to uh, the Northwest where my sister and her husband live. I then went to Wales where I have family, uh, then went down to Birmingham. So you're in the sort of central Midlands there, then went down to the South Coast to see another friend and then ended up back up in the Southeast. Um, so amusingly, I never even went into like London which is unusual because I love London and right. I grew up just, just outside of it. Uh, but this time it was just a big old <laughs> like route around the edge of the country pretty much. And uh, yeah, it was great. It was really nice to be back and it felt a little bit surreal in many ways. But, um, you know, we got really lucky with, with the weather and things. It was like bright sunshine pretty much the whole time, uh, which is unheard of in the UK. Right. Absolutely unheard of. So, well, yeah, and it all went to plan, which is remarkable with, you know, COVID being very high there and stuff, and neither me or my partner got sick. So, you know, it, <laughs> it worked. It worked stunningly to plan. I'm almost still very surprised. Well, can you compare for us, like how, like I guess it's hard now because even here in Canada, basically all any attempts at trying to control the this latest um, wave, or I don't know if we can even call them waves. We just live with a high level now. Um, have been dropped, but like, what's, what's the mood over there towards COVID compared to what we're doing here? Like, is, is anyone oh, still doing anything or? No, it doesn't exist yeah. over there pretty much. Um, not with everybody. Of course, there are some people who are like conscientious about masking and making sure they don't go out while they're sick and things. But, you know, I religiously wore a very good mask whenever I was in an indoor environment in the UK. I largely avoided them. Right. Like I went for one indoor meal with a very elderly family member where it would not have been reasonable to ask her to go outside right um and for everything else i was outside but occasionally of course i had to go to a grocery store or wanted to go into a shop to buy something and i wore a proper n95 mask because i was aware about you know the very high risk of infection and more to the point how if i did get sick i would lose everything that came after that seeing friends, right. seeing family. So it was very, very important for me to do absolutely everything I could to, to do that. Uh, I was almost always the only person in a grocery store of, say, 100 people or 150 people who was wearing a mask. Wow. Very occasionally I saw one other person. I can count on two hands the number of times I saw anyone wearing masks in any context in the UK in two and a half weeks there. And it's not because it's way under control there and the levels no. are low, they're just done no the opposite and i think i think you know here is is you know so i haven't ever stopped masking in indoor environments mm. uh i went indoor dining i think i did some in whenever there was a dip was it february or december last year i don't know i did like one or two things right um I, right now you could not pay me to go indoors into a bar or a restaurant in toronto the levels are way too high my friends are dropping like flies <laughs> uh my colleagues etc um but here, I do think still there is a bit of a sort of cultural responsibility for folks to, you know, if they know they're sick, I do think folks here generally are just going to be like, all right, I've got COVID, I'm staying at home. Right. In the UK, of course, some people do that. I'm not saying that they don't. But also there is, in some cases, an expectation 
that you will go into work. Like your employer will make you go into work. Uh, you will, you know, a lot of people will be like, that's ah, fine, <laughs> you know. So I was at the airport on the way back and I was at a bookstore just wandering around wearing my 95 mask at the airport. Maybe there was like 10% of people wearing masks, sure. higher than anywhere else in the UK. And this uh, gentleman said to a woman that was beside him, he just went, are you okay? You know, to his companion or whatever. And she said, well, I'm not doing great. I've got COVID, haven't I? Oh, my God. And they're going on holiday to Spain. They'd I think they were talking about. Yeah. And there is no, there is no, um, there is no rule against that, as far as I'm aware. So this woman, knowing that she had COVID, and he said something like, "Well, don't worry, we'll get to rest soon. You can go and sit by the pool." And so I, I don't, you know, I, I kind of scurried out of the bookshop pretty quickly, found yeah. the quietest corner I could, and just kind of sat there unhappily in a warm N95 <laughs> mask until I could get on the plane, which was delayed by two hours anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i do i do think there is a little more cultural overall here there's a little bit more of a don't do that if you're sick right like a bit more of a we should try and protect us. it's not universal no um well i know someone I was, who just last week was you know tested positive so did the thing you know staying home for the week and, and whatever else and while they were stuck at home noticed that from the floor above their apartment there was water leaking and so there was mold all over the roof of the ceiling of their bathroom and now you're like mold is bad and i need to get this dealt with like there's water leaking from another year but i can't have anyone come in here right like Mm -hmm. do i call the i I, she did call the insurance company but like hey i guess don't send anyone till next monday or like it it puts you in a weird spot as you try and do the right thing but also have to you know now it's costing you and, and it's causing issues and whatever, but it not meant not everybody is still holding on to that level of, you know, no, at least respect and, for others. Right. And, no. And there's no, there's no universal, you know, UK people are good. Canadians. Sure. Are, of course. Are, sorry. UK people are bad. Canadians are good. Absolutely not. No, of course. And those places have received very different information and also leadership mm. with regards to this. So it's it is true. hard to be like, Hey, these people are silly. Like no, why are they if doing you've gotten it? the wrong messaging or, or whatever, right. that is what it is. Exactly. And to, to be fair, so one thing I was expecting in the UK, which never happened, was I thought people would really be like staring at me with my mask on, you know, talking to me, being like, what are you doing? Right. And maybe it's because I kind of went into spaces like definitely not with a face of, oh, yeah, I'm happy to be challenged. <laughs> um, but nobody said a thing. Nobody said a thing to me. Some people kind of stared. Right. And at one point, I think a woman was about to say something, and I just gave her kind of a warning glare. <laughs> you know, and she didn't. Um, but I did expect that some people would be kind of quite threatened by me wearing a mask, right? Because it challenges the the kind of, um, you know, the narrative that we're, that we're over yeah. and we're living with this and it's normal. And actually, that didn't happen. So that was a pleasant surprise. Right. And that's the way it should be. Like if you, even if you have chosen to move on, you know, my freedom and things like that, you know, be accepting of, of mine, right? I'm choosing to do this. You don't have to, that's your call. Mine is to wear it and let's all just move along here kind of thing, right? It's. Yeah. Yeah. If that's, if that's the way you want to look at it, then at the very least, (laughs) yeah. I mean, the very least you can do is not interfere with other people's um, choice, choice to do so. So yeah, I agree with you on that one. 
So a couple hockey things I wanted to talk to you about and, uh, it seems logical in the middle of a heat wave in July to want to talk a little hockey, but, uh, there's lots in the news. Where do you want to start with the interesting stuff that the Leafs have done or the negative stuff that Hockey Canada has done? Let's start with the Leafs. <laughs> All right, I think that's a I think that's a good call. I will have some more beer, and then we can talk about the second thing because I, I have I have thoughts about this. I knew you would, and uh, yeah. and that's why we're chatting here today. So, um, why don't we start with the Leafs then? Like you said, they have totally replaced their goaltending tandem. They have <laughs> um, uh, managed to send Peter Morazic at the draft to Chicago and only had to drop down 13 spots to to do it. I thought that was a pretty reasonable win, but then you turned around and gave all that money plus some to Matt Murray, which is a gigantic gamble. Uh, you take another gamble on Ilya Samsonov, who is younger and has a first-round pedigree, um, but has also struggled of late. Um, you know, you've brought in some depth defensemen, you brought in Callie Yarncrook to kind of play probably on your third line. What do you make of, uh, of what the Leafs have done so far this off season? Yeah, so I, I think I probably have a sort of average kind of response for, for most Leafs fans, although there are some truly hysterical ones, so maybe I'm not sure. I don't know. So... Yeah, so first of all, I think they were right to let Jack Campbell walk for that much money in that much term. Yep. Which is maybe not a popular thing to say. No, love Jack. Um, Glad he got he his money, in, but... He got his money, he's entitled to do so. Yep. So this, this dude has not been well paid his entire career. No. Right? Yeah. Like he's been a backup, he's been on league minimum or, or not a much... Minor leader seven. for a while, yeah. Right, exactly. So this guy really was his only chance to make a significant amount of money out of his NHL career. So he went for the most money for the most term and good for him. Like I'm saying that without any hint of... Totally with you. Happy for that guy. Yeah, happy for that guy. He's obviously the nicest guy you could ever wish to meet. The Oilers are not a bad team. They obviously made it you know, pretty deep in the playoffs last year. Mm-hmm. They will probably do so again next year, I think. So good for him. Like, I really have nothing nothing to say against that. Right. The Matt Murray thing, I, so I think what Leafs fans would have really wanted is, okay, you get rid of Campbell, bring in someone who's just as good as be- or better. And then I think the question was, okay, who? <laughs> like, you know, you could say Darcy Kemper, uh, Fleury went very early, yeah. right? And is at the more tail end of his career as well. Kemper yeah, Fleury had scared him. me a little. Yeah, he's at the tail end of his career. And obviously he's like one of the best goalies to have played the game. Yep. Um, especially in the last couple of decades. But that was a bit scary. Kemper obviously won the Stanley Cup, but is he the best goal? No, he's not. So, so I don't think there was any ideal choice. So if Matt Murray can be Matt Murray, for whatever, for the numerous reasons that he hasn't been, obviously his father died and things, mm-hmm. things went south with the Penguins. Had like, some injury I, issues. He had some injuries. He did play well in front of a pretty terrible Ottawa team for quite a stretch last year, so I get that point. Mm-hmm. Um, if Matt Murray can be Matt Murray, then maybe it's going to be a genius deal. I felt very uncomfortable with it. And then they signed Samsonov, and Samsonov is not a you know terrific, terrific goalie. No. But I do think he's got something to prove, and I like the idea of trying to play them off against each other. And the fact that Samsonov has only signed a one-year deal. He wants yes. to, 
he's if he wants to make any more money next year, he's got to show something this year. So he's, he's going to be motivated. That's exactly right. And uh, exactly, I like and Murray signed for what, two years, which is not. It's not. It's it is. It is what it is. But it's not. They've signed him to a six-year deal, and that's it. He's our goalie. I think that was part so of the problem, like you said, with Campbell. Right? It wasn't necessarily right. the money. It was the length and the fact that uh, you know we have to keep in mind that that Matt Murray contract uh, ends at the same time that that Austin Matthews contract ends, and the William yeah. Nylander contract ends, and you need yeah. maximum flexibility. Right. Like who knows what Matthews is going to be asking for, and rightfully so. He's maybe the best goal scorer in the league right now. Um, yeah. You want to be clear there. I, I, I'm one of those people who you alluded to earlier who maybe got a little hysterical over the uh, the Matt Murray thing. I mean, nobody saw it coming, really. Like it was no. Like, what you're doing? What? <laughs> and so the thing is, the 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 point you made there about wanting someone as good or better than Campbell, I better than which Campbell, right? Like the one Mm -hmm. who had the last decade where he was just okay. The one who came in last year and sort of stole the job from Freddie while he was injured. The one who was absolutely dominant for the first maybe two, two and a half months of this season. Or the one who kind of limped to the finish line. And and obviously, look, I thought Campbell was fine in the playoffs. He was not the reason the Leafs lost. He came up when it mattered. That's right. But I, I, I don't know... One of the reasons, whether it be the term or not, that I was scared of extending Jack Campbell is I still don't think I know who that guy is, right? I, I mm-hmm. don't know. And I don't know what Matt Murray is. And I've said a couple times here on the show, I would have been, I think I'd have been more comfortable with going with like a very middle of the road, like James Reimer or Thomas Grant, like just an average guy, but I know he's going to be average every night. No more roller coasters, no more ups and downs. And I'd take two of those guys instead of at maybe two million a piece instead of two gambles. Like if you're gonna do the Matt Murray thing, I I like the Samsonov gamble, but I don't like it when I'm already gambling almost five million on Matt Murray. And that's the part that we're rolling the do- the dice twice here, right? I'd like to have a more reliable backup at least that I know can give me, you know, capable games. I'm just. This rattled my confidence in Dubis just a little bit because it always, like, yeah. I sat here for months before and every time this had come up and and even the the, the Sens fans, the co-hosts of this show with me often were going, no, that's never going to happen. The Leafs will never take Matt Murray. And you're, holy shit, they did it. And I, I just, I don't know if you're gambling on this being your go for it window and everything. I'm not yeah. sure this is where I hitched my wagon. No, I, I get that completely, and I think it would have been a little easier to swallow if they'd found either the Sens or another team to take another twenty five percent of the salary. Totally, totally, I was I was quite confused by the amount of salary that the Leafs are going to be paying him. Completely agree but, there. Yeah, so if they'd found like a third a third team or something to like eat another. 15 20 25 percent i think everyone would be a lot more like okay. get that cap hit down into the threes instead right. of right considering they're struggling to sign you know sandine and yep. they've signed Engel now which was the right thing to do and mm-hmm. but yeah that that of all of the things was kind of I, I still don't really know how i feel about that it's it's a lot of money to spend on a goalkeeper goaltender which ha- who has he has pedigree like he's sure. obviously won two stanley cups and as a goaltender if you win two stanley cups nobody's going to carry you Right. Like through that, like even if you're on a team with Sidney Crosby, which he was, yep. like you're not going to get, it's not possible. No, there's no hiding to your goalie. Yeah. Right. 
like, you know, Kem Kemper didn't get carried to a Stanley Cup. He put in some great performances, even despite the star-studded team he was on. But it was six years ago now. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, the, thing, the thing is, and I think about this occasionally, is we have literally no choice but to go with it. Like, <laughs> you've got to it. go with it. You've, you've got to get behind Matt Murray. No, you're I, totally right about that. By the time training camp starts, I'll be hard on that Matt Murray bandwagon, just hoping for the best to. for this and guy. And some sort of, like, <laughs> yep, yep. If, this guy, if this guy wants to, you know, sign a long-term contract with whoever next year at $5 million plus, he's going to have to, like, come up clutch. Yep. And he's going to have to play well, so go for it. I like that it was made clear that they neither of them was the starting goalie. Yes. Like, you guys go up against each other, we'll split your time in preseason, I'm assuming, mm -hmm. and we'll play whoever plays best. And I think I like that. Like, I if they too. were just like, hey, here's Matt Murray and Chalgren's our backup, as much as I kind of like Chalgren. I do too. I would have been a bit like, eee. Yeah. I don't like but, him as um, my... <laughs> pin my hopes on him. I just like him as a prospect. <laughs> yeah, he's a good prospect and I think he actually played reasonably well last year for the most part when he was called upon. Yep. So I like the fact that he, we've got him as a very clear third goalie and I don't know what's happening with Joseph Wall, but when he was called up, he was also fine. Yep. Um, so yeah, I, I, I've kind of stopped thinking about it now. I just don't see the point anymore. You well, know, like, <laughs> it, it is it is what it is and you know, we'll have to see how at, at the end of the day, Dubas's job is on the line. Yep. You know, if they don't, if they don't get past the first round of the playoffs next year, I don't, I don't think there's any circumstance where he stays. I think you're right about that. Uh, as we move yeah. off of the goaltending, what do you, I'm, I guess this is one of the pitfalls of being a, a salary cap team when you're capped out and you've got all your guys locked up and your core is what it is right now. Maybe there aren't going to be a ton of big moves around free agency, but there was some talk that maybe Muzzin would get traded. Um, you know, they brought in some depth defensemen, like I said, a couple of depth forwards in in uh, Adam Gaudet, and uh, you know, I, what do you what? Yeah, what about, what I mean, else? <laughs> it's so I li I quite like the Encore thing. I think they actually got him for a decent amount of money. Yeah. Um, and if he can, you know, he got, it was Calgary last year, right? He was up for the end of the season. Yeah, got, uh, went he, to Seattle and then into Calgary afterwards. Yeah, so he didn't really get played in Calgary that much. No. I don't think. And, and I think he was like considered their extra forward, right? And he didn't really have a chance to get into it. It didn't really happen for him. I think it, from my memory, and I didn't watch many of Calgary's games during the playoff, but he was in the plays and stuff. He just didn't, it didn't go in for him. It seemed he like Daryl Sutter didn't really like him. And right, probably not. Yeah. Seemingly quite a lot of players didn't like Daryl Sutter as well. <laughs> Seems to be panning out that Calgary. way. Yes. Um, but yeah, I'm, I, I think for the amount of money we're paying him, I, I think that's probably a solid pickup. I think that's probably going to come up really well. Yeah, he's a guy who can play on the PP and the penalty kill. And, you know, he's kind of, when you look over the course of his career, every single year, uh, yep. in and out, 15 10 to 15 goals, 30 to 35 points. Well, that's really yep. all you need for a third. Just under half a point a game, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and that's totally fine for what you're going to ask of him to do. And like you said, they kept the cap hit low by giving him an extra year or two. And, uh, you know, yeah. Dubas is either going to be successful or he's going to be gone, so he doesn't really yeah. care about the last year or no, two I, of those deals. I, I like that deal a lot. Um I I like well they I really like that they re-signed Pierre Engvall. I think that's probably a fair amount of money for him. I do think it's kind of risky just signing him for one year. Yep. Because I I do think he's going to get better than he was last year, which is going to mean he's quite a good player, and also he's a reasonably unusual player. You know, being his, having his size and his skating ability, 
And if he pops 20 goals this year, then obviously he's off to a better team. Yes. But it was going to cost you more to sign him through some of those free agent years. So this is sort of the trade-off to keep that cap hit low and... Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. I just, yeah. So he he obviously had a good year last year, and I think he also, I think it was during the playoffs, or maybe it was in the run up to the playoffs. Like he was showing a little bit more aggression as well. Yes, yeah, so like was not to get throwing a guys around, but just you know, really standing up for himself a little bit, which is good. Like I don't like to stereotype all like bigger players saying you've got to be like the enforcers and stuff like that, and that's not what he was doing. Right. But he was just you know finishing his checks having a bit of chat with people, throwing them off a little bit. And I, I, I think that's good because I think the Leafs do need more of that. So as we sit here now, and I mean, the summer's not over. Obviously, they still need to get Sandine signed. Uh, they are a little over the cap, but I'm not super worried about it. There are some of these guys that have clearly been signed with the possibility that they'll be sent down. Um, whether Kyle Clifford or Wayne Simmons are still going to be here remains to be seen. So there is ways to to free up cap space without making big trades. But once you sign Sandine, who appears to be, you know, annoyed and, um, you signed, you kept Muzzin and you've re-signed Giordano at a number so low that it would have been silly not to, yeah, but now you have yeah. Morgan Riley and those are your three guys up the left side and you've sort of blocked Sandine again. And that's happened in the past and he hasn't loved it. Miko Lettinen came over a year or two ago. You played him ahead of Sandine, Travis Dermott was often played ahead of Sandine. And this year when he was healthy, Sandine played pretty well. And so now he's looking around kind of going, where's my spot? Cause even Dubas has sort of said, we don't love the idea of flipping him over to the other side. So mm-hmm. I kind of get it that he's frustrated, but he also, he doesn't have arbitration yet. He's not an RFA yet. Like I, I kind of think he's, he's stuck, but he's, frustrated and annoyed and doesn't see a path and I kind of I don't really blame him I think this relationship might be in a bad spot right now yeah I don't know what's going on with that one thing I will say is I, I really think the Leafs have to keep him like people have been talked about have been talking about trading him as part you know as a really shiny piece yeah uh, for something or somebody I think that would be a terrible idea I think he shows a ridiculous amount of promise for a defenseman his age um physically as well Yes. You know, considering, you know, he's just really kind of getting into that, that that phase of his career. Like, he finishes checks, he's skillful, he's fast, his shot's great. Um, I think it would be a massive mistake to let him go for a piece of anything. Um, but, yeah, I do I do kind of get his frustration as well. Like, when he did play last year and when he was healthy, I, I feel like it was obvious he was an NHL-ready yeah. defenseman. And I think he's probably in some ways going to be contrasting his experience to Lilligren's. Now, Lilligren had a great year, and obviously putting him with Giordano was a stroke of genius mm-hmm. because I've been seeing him play for years. I've you know, seen him on the Marlies and stuff as well, and like he's good, and you always hoped he'd get there, but he was taking his good damn time. <laughs> Whereas you put him with someone like Giordano, and suddenly he's like, I know what I'm doing. I'm right. good. And he becomes this like really solid defenseman. And so, But if you contrast him and Sandine, Sandine's probably the better player. So suddenly his buddy's got a, you know, almost guaranteed spot in the least defense core and yeah, he's right kind of still yeah. on the outside and is going, hmm, what's going on here? And obviously position, I understand the position thing, but I, I do get where he would be coming from with that. Like, <laughs> like, why am I not playing? Like, I'm just as good a player of you as if not better. You yeah, know? I, I think the Leafs were banking on Sandine just taking basically a very similar 
type contract to what uh, Lilligren did because, you know, Sandine's actually a year younger, uh, was drafted a year later, and but he's sort of made it faster and, and st- kind of made an impact a little quicker. And they're different types mm-hmm. of defensemen too. Um, yeah, 100%. But I, I think he's kind of pushing back against I go, no, I, I don't really care what you sign that guy for. I think I'm worth this. And But I do think at the end of the day, he's got very little leverage. And, you know, whether or not we see this press into training camp or not, I, I don't know. But at some point, the, I, I do think you risk the... Uh, Look, I was glad to see them re-sign Giordano at the price they did. He came in at like eight hundred grand or whatever it was, and yeah, you that, have to. Yeah, but at the same time, I do understand the message it sent, and you can't keep a thirty-eight-year-old Mark Giordano over a you know whatever he is, twenty-one, twenty-two-year-old Rasmus Sandin. And I wonder if Kyle's maybe bungled this just a little bit in terms of you know the message it sent and and not getting Sandin maybe locked up first. Yeah, I don't, um, yeah, I don't know, but Giordano as well, like not only is he still very good, mm-hmm. he's also you've lost Jason Spezza for a good reason because he really was slowing down yep. and obviously he's still in the organization which is exactly as it should be. But you've lost Jason Spezza as that like key veteran presence. No, I agree. And with so you not there. only is not only is Giordano, you know, filling an important hole on the defense and frankly being Lilligan's mentor He's also filling a very important leadership role, I think. Now Spets is no longer going to be on the ice. So I think it, he has value more than just his exceptionally cheap contract and the fact he's still a very good defenseman. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't exactly know where it's going to go with Sandy, but I am a big fan of, of his. I do think he's probably, you know, he and Lilligren could really, you know, form the future of the Leafs' defenses, defensive course. So I do hope something's um, sorted out. Uh but where are they going to find the money? I don't know. Justin Hall and Kerfoot have been discussed as players that might go. Yeah. Uh, Justin Hall, I don't. I'm not particularly against him, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't be sad in any way if he leaves. I think Kerfoot gets a big bad rap from the fans that he doesn't massively deserve. He's a really good utility player. Um, he scores goals. Can play He's top far. six wing if you need. Can play third line center. Right. I, I think. I think the you know because was it he screwed up in the playoffs, made one like big mistake. I can't even remember which game. Game seven and took so that every, penalty, that high stick on Hedman, and right daft. And so yeah, but at the end of the day, it, you know, it's a team game, and everybody makes those silly plays or mistakes or whatever happened. Um, but I think a lot of fans are just remembering that. Yeah. Not. Not that everything he else he did during the season, and he always plays hard. Like he always plays hard. You never see him take a shift off ever. So, and if you trade yeah. him, you're hurting. Like you've already are kind of thin at center, and yeah. he is a guy that, in case of injury or the way you've constructed your lineup, can do it. You don't really have anybody else now. I guess nope. you could try Yarn Crook if you wanted to, but I. I think that might be asking him to play a little above his head. But um, yeah, I, I I sort of wondered if maybe instead of Ottawa eating more of Matt Murray's contract, if they would have taken Justin Hall back. They need help on the right side of their defense. Um, mm. It's It gets them an actual player instead of just dead money. It gets $2 million bucks out the door for the Leafs. Like maybe that would have been the... But if you're not comfortable with Sandine playing on the right side, then you're still weak on the right side, right? Like... You have yeah, now just Lilligren and Brody and no one else on that right one. So I don't know. We'll see where that's going to go. Um, but it's an interesting story to follow. And I would be, yeah, I'd be bummed, like you said, if if this led to Sandine being shipped out the door. But hopefully that's not the case. 
I mean, if they do ship him out, they will almost certainly get something pretty good for him. I still don't think it's a good idea, <laughs> I yeah. would like to say, but I'm just saying I think he is well viewed as an exceptional defensive prospect who's already NHL ready at his age. You would get an awful lot for him, I think, but I still hope it doesn't happen. Uh, speaking of things that shouldn't happen, we mm. should move over and talk about what's going on with Hockey Canada here. And everyone is familiar with the story that came out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, out of London and the uh, 2018 World Junior Team and some of the other um, CHL players that were there. And, uh, you know, there's been lots of very good writing done about this. And if you haven't caught up with it, I would recommend, and we'll share the link to uh, just a recap today that uh, Ian Mendez and Katie Strang uh, put out for The Athletic. But there's all kinds of write-ups on this. But also today... Hockey Canada released a statement saying there is another one of these involving the 2002-2003 World Junior Team. That was the Halifax uh, World Juniors. Um, And they basically in their statement again, which we will share the link to uh, so you can read for yourself, but said that we a week or two ago heard rumblings that there was another one of these. We didn't know much. And then Rick Westhead, who is a reporter for CTV and TSN, reached out with more information based on his interviews and his research um, that says, yeah, it was the 2002-2003 World Junior Team and it was in Halifax. And it is apparently another, um, you know, group sexual assault. I don't know what term you want to use, but uh, involving the world junior team. And they said they're looking into it. They have immediately passed on all the details that they have to Halifax police. They're encouraging anybody else to come forward and they're trying to paint this, uh, you know, that they're doing all they can right now, but they are under absolute siege. They've had sponsors walking away. Um, the organization looks awful because they've handled basically all of these things awful. They were called in front of parliament several weeks ago, um, and asked how many of these happen per year. And they said there are, I believe they said two to three a year. That's worth noting that it they didn't necessarily specify their high performance programs. This is the organization that across the country administers minor hockey. You're talking about, you know, Timbits on up to Midget and Pee Wee and everything else in every community across Canada. Um, you know, there's a lot of volunteers, a lot of kids, a lot of things going on there that, you know, while you go two to three seems like a lot. I doubt it's even scratching the surface of things that haven't been reported. Some of that is Hockey Canada's fault. Some of it is, if it's not reported, I guess is out of their control. Look, this is a mess, especially if we now have another high profile one on our hands from the World Junior thing, because these are names that likely went on to have NHL careers. And just because in Canada, we pay more attention to these bigger events. Um, I don't know, you... (laughs) I'm sure have have takes on all of this and and how this has played out and how Hockey Canada has been presented. What do you think of of this the Gong Show that has become the national organization for this country's sport? So I have a lot of thoughts, obviously, but first I want to point out that I, I come at this from a different perspective because I only moved to Canada in 2017, right? Mm-hmm. So I didn't grow up playing junior hockey. I didn't grow up you know, with my parents at a rink every week watching me. I didn't grow up with this sort of relationship with Hockey Canada and all of the programs that they do. Mm -hmm. So I I come at it from a sort of outsider's perspective in many ways, as somebody who's only really been following the sport for a few years. And I got 
I hear about these things and I just, it's really hard to comprehend. I feel like I haven't ever heard about anything which is this systemically broken in sports ever before. I was trying to think the other day, I was having a conversation with my partner who did play junior hockey, you know, from when she was five or so up to when she went to college. And I said, I can't think of an incident where things are so widespread in in culture, like in hockey culture, in like sports that are common in Britain. Like I have, I have no, absolutely no, um, I'm under no illusion that these things do happen in things like football, uh, cricket i guess you know tennis other sports and stuff but i have never heard of something that to this extent and you know this this particular assault from uh 2018 i think that's that's the main one that's been in the media over the last couple of weeks i you just read about it and you think what on earth is going on with this sport and the culture and i'd like to specify the culture in the men's hockey not like i don't think the women's hockey has been brought into this at all and i think that's very important to differentiate because hockey canada represents girls and boys and men and women but like this is the men's and sport yeah absolutely nothing to do with the women's right and um you just read about it and you're like who the hell empowers these young men to do shit like that and to make them think it okay it's okay and then of course you have the added issue of why is there a fund set up paid by minor hockey league fees that boys girls parents across the country pay to defend these young men in cases where they're accused of sexual assault what makes them so special that they get defended when they do crimes like this and that to me when i heard of that part of it i was talking to my partner at the kitchen table and i'm like this cannot be real it cannot be real that children, the parents of children who play hockey in Canada, pay part of their funds to defend young men who are accused of, of sexual assault. I cannot believe that. And genuinely, I could not believe it. So That is absolutely ridiculous. I have never heard anything so obscene in my life. So that came out this week. It was a piece, I believe, in the Globe and Mail. We'll share this link as well if people want to check it out that pointed to the fact that Hockey Canada, yes, has this fund and it brings in a couple hundred thousand dollars a year and it has built up to like a 15 or $16 million fund right now, I believe. It goes up and down, obviously, depending on how many of these things they have to pay out and cover. Essentially, it is for exactly what you just said, it is for so that you don't have to go to your insurance company every time, right? So that you can have this money to make these problems go away and... I don't know that it's uncommon for big corporations to have a fund like that. What is horribly uncommon, like you just said, is the idea that parents across the country, in many cases, who are scraping together, it's expensive to play hockey, right? And there's a couple bucks out of my fund every year or out of my payment this year, out of my membership this year that goes directly and just sits there in a tank that waits for some asshole to do something disgusting and you'll take that money and use it to either defend them or come to a settlement or essentially make these sorts of problems go away. That was, I think, you know, on top of everything that we've already read about and and heard about in this story, for a lot of people, that brought this a lot closer to home because you said, you've just told them that what I paid last year for my six-year-old to play hockey, part of that went to 
defend this. And that rightfully so hit a lot of people very hard. Yeah. I mean, so I, obviously I'm not a parent. Um, my partner played junior and minor hockey up until when she went to college. And I'm sure some of her parents' fees have been going to support this. And I, I, I still, I still can barely believe it happens. So you have young girls and young boys whose parents pay a certain amount of money so that to protect men who later go on to sexually assault them and people like them. I mean, how sick is that? It's just, I, I mean, you know, the fact that hockey has a huge, sorry, male hockey, and I'm going to be specific here because there is no evidence that it, it happens in women's and girls' hockey. Yeah, like, I, I, it may, but I, I feel we need to be specific here, especially because Hockey Canada and the women's team are basically as successful as the men's team. And so they've been dragged into all of this as well with no evidence that any of them have ever done anything wrong. Right. But just, just to kind of point that out. But Hockey obviously has this massive, so men's hockey, boys' hockey perhaps, has this massive culture problem. Fine. That's one thing, and it is, of course, connected. But that people are, this that Hockey Canada are collecting fees to pay for the defense and payoffs of sexual assault should be a reason to completely level that organization and build it up again from the ground. Like, I do not see why it should continue to exist in its current form without a massive upheaval and i do hope people who have paid those fees come up with some kind of class action lawsuit to ensure that happens this has been yeah that's been a notion that's been floated more and more as we've moved through this right that this you know almost it's not the same but in the same way that a lot of people kind of since january and the 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 freedom convoy and a lot of people are going i just I don't feel the same way about our flag that I used to. There's almost this, man, Hockey Canada has been defending this for as long as it hasn't. There's been different staff who've moved through. There's been different people responsible for this. It's As you said, it's baked in systemically. Do I really want to see the same Hockey Canada logo coming out? Am I going to feel the same every Christmas cheering on the World Junior Team knowing you know, the history of this thing? Would you be better off to just start over an entirely new organization? Everyone who is involved right now is punted to the curb as the, um, you know, as, as we purge this thing and try to start over. I do wonder how long that t- it's, it, it's one thing if we were just talking about, you know, the, the men's national team and the women's national team, the world junior and under 18 teams, the, what, like you could do that fairly quickly. This thing has reaches into every single community across Canada. And maybe that's all the more reason to do it, but I can't imagine what logistically goes into making that change. And, you know, we're a month or two away. I'm sure registration is already done for this upcoming hockey season. Again, I'm not by any means suggesting here, Vicky, that they shouldn't do it. I'm simply trying to go, what do you do for little you know, kids across the country this year who just want to play Timbits hockey with their friends. And meanwhile, at the very top, we're undergoing this massive corporate overhaul. Like maybe you are more familiar with what that looks like or what the process would be than I am. Like, it seems like a massive undertaking. No, I'm not. I'll be perfectly honest. I'm, I'm not necessarily saying everybody needs to be fired right now and it needs to all be replaced at once. I assume it's a huge organization and it does a lot of different things. 
And you can also assume that probably the majority of people who work for Hockey Canada, definitely those who volunteer and things, really have nothing to do with No, this. especially at the community and they are a good We're people. talking about the so, corporate office, right? Like, right. We're talking about the corporate office. But it, it cannot go on like this after that. It cannot go on. And you were talking about, you know, the junior hockey players all over Canada, six-year-olds and things like that. They also deserve better yep. from this organization, right? Not just because they're paying or their parents are paying money to them. It's not just about money. You know, hockey is an identity in Canada. Mm-hmm. It really is. And people deserve to be able to be proud of the fact that they're a junior hockey player or a minor hockey player and it's a big part of their life and things. But when when it is so rotten at the top, yeah. when something like this, you know, fund for sexual assault, people are being due to this, is even allowed to exist, that people sat around a boardroom and decided that was a good idea that people administered the fund, that they constantly like used it two, three times a year, as you said, that nobody stepped up and went, this is a terrible idea. Right. At any point means that there are people who are responsible that need to go. Well, and it, this, you know, even before this week's piece in the Globe and Mail came out. Uh, yeah, thank God for journalists, by the way. Right. right? Because... It's so important that this kind of work is done. So for all the journalists who have blown this apart, right? You know, we as horrible as it is, we should be very grateful for their work. Agreed with that, that completely. But when the 2018 story originally broke and people started digging into it, we learned that um, they they did tell their insurance company what was up, but then chose to liquidate assets and pay this woman off out of their own pocket rather than run it through the because no different than when you ding your car fender. It's like, ah, this is better off to just pay myself rather than like, this is also financially motivated and, and reputationally motivated, right? Like they knew this was awful. And I'm now talking back about the 2018 case specifically, they could have their insurance company pay for it, but you're like, it's better for us to just pay for it because it keeps our, you know, our, our cost down in the future with dealing with our insurance company. And like, that's just such a callous, you know, like there are people at the top of hockey Canada having these conversations, which way should we pay off this sexual assault victim? Like to think that that happened once, let alone several times per year, every year for as long as anyone can remember, man, it's just such a gross thought that makes you, the world juniors are coming up. They, they got canceled back in, in January or December they're going to run it again in August. And there's just no part of me right now that's going, can't wait to sit down and cheer on Hockey Canada, right? Like, it just totally changes your view of the entire thing. Right. And so there's and also there's obviously the impact on, on the victims. Of course. Not only having, having these things happen to them, but then having to go through the, you know, things like cross-examination in court. You probably heard about the, the uh, case where... Yeah, exactly. He and the questions, and I have no idea how they can literally do this with, without getting in trouble. But the questions that she has had to answer about her assault well, so, are absolutely sickening. The way that she has been treated throughout that, for example. So Jake Vertanen, so, just for is a former Vancouver Canucks player, just to bring people up to speed, who is accused of. Uh, sexual assault of a victim in British Columbia, and it's come to light this week as that trial moves on that she's basically been put through the ringer with just unfathomable bullshit that's been thrown in her face. You know, why didn't you just tell him you had a yeast infection or were on your period? And 
the fact that that is even a, I told him, no, should that not be the end of the fucking story? And the, the fact that these are the sorts of questions she's being run through. And I just want to bring people up to date who maybe haven't, um, you know, followed that quite as closely. These are the things that victims go through. And the one in 2018 took the part of her motivation, no doubt in, in just settling and walking away was she didn't want her name mentioned. She did not. These are high profile hockey players. This is going to become a thing. I'm going to be hearing about this forever from social media assholes. I just want this to go away. And I do think Vicky, and I would be curious to get your opinion on this. I think it's good that this has come to light and that these guys are going to be held to account now. But I do yeah. wonder if that doesn't mean we have pulled something back out into the public light that from the victim's perspective, she wishes was still dead and buried. I don't know. I mean, the, the only person who can, can say about that is her. Sure. Right. Like, I, I think these things are. But you know what I'm saying? Sexy. She clearly wanted this to not be a public thing for her. Yeah. Own. From, what I've, from what I've understood from the, the things that have been published in the media, like she was also basically coerced after the event to keep it quiet yes. and not to talk to the police too much by one of the people accused of sexual assault. Yes. Um, so, you know, I don't want to comment too much on one case cause I don't, I don't know her. I don't understand no, her motivations. Course. Um, I guess it's just incredibly in brave. Yeah. It's I'm incredibly concerned. brave to talk, talk about anything like this and, you know, for her and any other women who are going to come forward, uh, you know, I, I think, I think their bravery is, is, is amazing. Agreed. But I'd also like to talk about the fact that so there are I don't know whether it's seven or eight players from the World Juniors team in 2018 mm -hmm. which are accused of to being involved in this and I'm not going to name any players because it is not known yet who exactly was involved but there appears to be a sort of narrowing list of people who have not denied involvement we mm -hmm. can say that at least yep and I don't exactly know how it's ultimately going to have been worked out as being good for hockey that a bunch of NHL teams are probably going to have to fire their young prospects. Now, I don't care. They should not play, in, play hockey. Right. Like if they are proven to be guilty of sexual assault, they do not deserve to be professional hockey players. I have no problem with saying that. Sure. But, you know, what is exactly the point of like covering this all up, it being discovered years later, extra pain for the victim, and then – these guys who have taken spots at picks, et cetera, taken spots at training camps, whatever, then just have to all be fired by their teams. Like we should just welcome getting all of this crap out, whether it's happened again in 2003. That's obviously a bit different because it was so long ago. There's talk about it having happened similarly in 2016. Like get everything out in the open, discipline or fire or whatever, anyone who was involved and start to rebuild this thing. Yeah. So you're suggesting maybe it's not worth terminating them? No, no, no. I'm suggesting they absolutely should okay, be. No, okay. no, yeah. no. I want to make that very, well, very clear. Yeah, because I, just the way you worded that they've already taken up the spots and the picks and the whatever. No, no, no. I meant, I meant to say what they've done is they've taken up spots and picks that, you know, other other young people yes. wanting to play hockey who probably, you know, statistically have not been involved in sexual assault could have taken. Right. I'm just saying, what the heck is the point in these people taking up all this damn room? Yeah. When people who haven't done that, it, it, it's, you know, if they're accused of sexual assault and they are found guilty of sexual assault, they should be weeded out of hockey early. See, I agree with that. And it, it it's, I guess I've been lucky. Look, 
I, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that every single NHL team and any other team that you happen to cheer on the Blue Jays or, or whatever else has a couple of assholes in their locker room. I don't believe that every single locker room has a couple rapists in it, right? Exactly. That's the difference. And so you can turn your nose up and go, oh, I hate that guy, but I'm glad he just hit a double for the Jays or I'm glad he scored that goal or whatever. When you get these names and I don't know what happens, are they terminated? Do you get one of the most uncomfortable things I can possibly imagine is the NHL going, well, that's a, and pick your number an 82 game suspension. You're all out for a year. Did we really just put a number of NHL hockey games on like, that's such a weird thing to, but when they come back, whether it be after 10 games or 40 games or 80 games, because I just, I just don't believe that the NHL will ever do the right thing enough to just completely kick them out of the league. What do you do when that guy scores a big goal for your team? Like you completely suck the joy out of out so of I think it, 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 I think it's not just on the NHL it's on organizations and their supporters right and yeah. I will say that I I don't know whether this is just like my my echo chamber right but for example uh, a couple of the accused players and I'll be very careful not to say you know they are accused potentially yep. by the fact that they haven't denied being involved yet right. uh, currently play for the Ottawa Senators yep and everything that I have seen from Sens fans on Twitter has strongly indicated to me that they will, if these people are proven guilty to, you know, have, have been involved in sexual assault, yeah. that Sens fans will not tolerate them being on their team. Do you suppose it matters to the entire group that one of them, again, I'm trying to, one of them is a very prominent, very important player it would be easier if your fourth line left winger turns out to be a dipshit all, all i can all i can say is what i have seen in my no doubt an echo chamber yeah, of sentiments that i follow on twitter and that i see is there has been so far very little tolerance for the idea that had they been involved that they should stay in the organization i'm with you there i i wonder like we saw last year when evander kane went to edmonton you're just like a lot of oilers fans right away and this is different like what kane is accused of and the rumors and everything is is slightly different but a lot of Oilers fans right away got on the well nothing's been proven you know you try and justify it because I I I do think that you and I both probably live in a bit of a fantasy world on Twitter in terms of following Mm -hmm. the right people who want to do the right things but it doesn't necessarily reflect the entire fan base and I think that's going to be that's going to be complicated. Like, um, you were here, no doubt, already. I don't know how much you follow baseball, but Roberto Osuna, the closer for the Blue Jays, uh, it comes out that he had beat the hell out of his, I can't remember if she was his girlfriend or his wife, and it was Rogers right away, a publicly traded company that owns the Blue Jays, said that guy is not wearing that uniform again, and it mm-hmm. had nothing to do with baseball. It was bad for their public image, and they said, yeah. you are getting rid of that guy And it happened fast. And I think that's the sort of thing that's going to have to happen because I honestly think fans will find a way to justify it. Uh, It was a long time ago. Uh, He was only 18. All this bullshit. I mean, some fans always will. Yeah. Some fans always will. But also, he was only 18 means he was a fully grown adult. Yep. 
right? He he was an adult, so yep. I, I have really no tolerance for that. This is not. I mean, I'm not even going to go into when it ever would be acceptable because it never no, is. No, of course. But he was 18 is a kind of end of description yep. for me. Like that, that, that's, that is that. I do think different markets probably have different tolerance for this kind of thing. I don't necessarily think that's right. Uh, but I do believe Toronto and Ottawa are probably the least, you know, so among the least tolerant markets of something oh, like that's this. That's a good point. Uh, I would strongly assume that uh, it was Victor Mete, I think, who was in the World Juniors from 2018. Mm-hmm. Yes, I would strongly assume that he was asked whether he was involved uh, before he was signed by the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like I do he, not think, like several other players, especially yeah. if they have an alibi. Like he had already put out a statement. I wasn't even at the event. I wasn't in London, and he had a, a story. Not a story that makes it sound like he might be full of shit. I, it. He was somewhere else and was well documented to have been somewhere else. Like not even in the city of London. If right. I'm any of those guys that did not, and we're, we are seeing more and more of them, if you weren't in London at this event, I absolutely am putting out a statement that says, hey, 100%. here's where I was, here's how you can back that up, whatever, yeah. I will fully cooperate. And as you said, more and more of those statements are coming out and it is narrowing yeah. the, you know, people are, are now, it, it's still not 100%, but people are able to kind of, it's down to this group of guys. Right. Like, I see, and speaking to what you were saying with regards to not all fans of a certain franchise or whatever are going to, you know, some people are going to, like, try and be like, well, you know, it's not so bad, or they were young or whatever. I, I also see some quite ridiculous, you know, Sens fans on Twitter being like, oh, we'll just trade Player X yeah. as part of the Matthew Kachuk deal or whatever. And I'm like, no franchise in its right mind Sign would touch either of those players right. until they are proven to innocent. be innocent. There's no way you're trading either of them. You have got to be kidding me. Yep. Like they're, you know, it, it's not happening. And again, I'm not naming them because it's really not fair because it, it's not, uh, A, it's well known and B, it, they are accused at the moment. They are not necessarily uh, involved. Right. But, yeah, it's 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 a whole bunch of mess, and I do hope it obviously gets sorted out as soon as possible. Partly, well, mainly for the fact that the victim, the, the you know, needs probably closure on this situation so she can go on with her life. That is um, that is the part that that freaks me out a little bit. Was we all deal with these things, and I can't even fucking imagine. But in our own way, was the settlement partly because. I know I don't want to deal with this. I don't want publicly it's hockey Canada. If this is out there, it's going to be a big story and my name's going to be attached to it forever. Maybe that is one of the motivations to just settle I mean, and I move on. And I now. wouldn't care to speculate, but in that case, the organization is intimidating enough that victims yeah. will know that they will be thrown lawsuits and settlements at, which yeah. is also an, an awful thing. No, you're right about that. Yeah. Yeah. So like it's, 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 I know, I think I have read something that they're now disbanding their like sexual assault fund or whatever it is. Yes. But I mean, it, it's not enough. Like the whole thing needs to be overhauled. But yeah, it, I, it, there's obviously, a, I, I am sh- I'm assuming you follow like Tara Sloan on, on Twitter. Yep. Yeah. Like she's spoken out constantly over years about the systemic problems in male hockey 
uh, with, you know, sexual assault, aggression, locker room chat, bullshit, that kind of thing. You know, she's a great person to follow for just talking about this context, kind of stuff yeah. and linking in other people in context. I'm not an expert. I'm a hockey fan, same, right? Like I'm not, an ex- I'm not an expert on sexual assault. I'm not, but as you were saying with regards to like, are we going to cheer on the world juniors and, and stuff? Are we going to support these players? It, it's hard at the moment. Like it's hard you know, I, frankly, I like the women's game a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen the, I've seen the women. Canada's women play a ton of times live. I always love watching their tournaments. I think they've got some of the most exceptionally skilled players. Like, I you know, I feel hundred percent comfortable watching them because I'm pretty sure that this is not a thing in the women's game. Of course, right. you can never say for certain, but I'm pretty sure it's not a thing in the women's game. And I hate that that exceptional team full of those exceptional athletes have been like dragged. You know, just because they're they're a big Under product the same of Canada. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Let's see how it goes and see how the situation is handled and managed. Because it's so but, hard, right? There, there's 20 kids that are going to get to play for Canada this August, and it's going to be a dream come true. And there's going to be a huge part of the country that's just like, ah, like not behind them the same way we would have been any other year. And that's a yeah, bummer for those yeah, kids, it's, right? It's it's it's, it's difficult, such a right? Mess. Because you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming the majority of the athletes have not been accused of sexual right. assault, right? Like it, it's almost, I don't know what the stats are and, you know, how many people are and they're not, so I wouldn't like to guess, but those kids probably are just young Canadian athletes doing their best for their country. So it's really difficult. I think you can probably support the athletes yeah. without supporting the organization to a yeah. point, much like if you are a parent with a kid in minor hockey you can support your kid playing hockey. Yes. Unfortunately, your fees do have to go to Hockey Canada, but also you can you can still hold Hockey Canada to account for what they have done and pressure them and write to them and tweet them. Do you know, do whatever. Stay Class action lawsuit. Yeah. Yeah, stay on it. Don't don't let them get away with this. But you can you know, I feel like you Canada can still support its young athletes. Um, can still support its six-year-olds who play hockey and love it, the volunteers who enable, you know, all this to happen. Um, It's unfortunate, the association with a gigantic organization, which is obviously has severe problems at its core. But at the same time, you know, yeah, I I don't want to guess how many people are involved and how many people aren't, but you can say that it is almost certainly a minority right now. But there does also need to be a cultural change. I don't want to, yeah. like, I remember saying to my partner at one point, like, my partner, as I said, plays hockey still, played hockey from when she was five or so. Like, at some point in the future, we would love to start a family. And I was, I've said this many, many times for a couple of different reasons. And I was like, if we have boys, maybe we can get them into basketball or baseball <laughs> or anything other than hockey. Girls, cool. Hockey, good. Let's do it. And, you know, it's it's not hard and fast, but, like, I, I don't know. Like I get at the that. moment, like, and like hockey's, I mean? hockey's already, you know, struggling would be overstating it, but it is incredibly expensive, and there are lots of new Canadians moving into more and more major hubs that are more familiar with soccer and the Canadian men's national team right now, and the women's national team defending Olympic champions are like soccer in Canada is on a roll like it's never been on before. So if you're hoping to loop in kids and get them excited about something, soccer is one of those sports that worldwide, wherever you may have come from already 
probably has your attention a little bit. Basketball in Canada on both the men's and women's side is enjoying growth and stardom at the top level like we have never seen before. Hockey is by far the most expensive sport. It is right now, even before all of this, we've been talking for two years now and it's far too late in coming about the racism in the game and the prejudice in the game. Man, hockey has a, like long before this latest thing started, hockey in Canada already had a ton of work to do to clean itself up and become more welcoming and more accessible to, uh, you know, people across Canada. And this is not going to help. This is only made things worse and it will make parents hesitant to put their kids in it and just go, you know what? My kid kind of digs softball. I'm just going to let him do that for a while or. For sure. I mean. Because the kids should play whatever sports they they want to they want to play, and you know personally, if I put my kid in in soccer, um, I would have to explain to them why I'm a Newcastle United fan. So that's <laughs> always a bit of a, you know a bit of a, a bit of a problem. But you know, conversation. as as I said again, like I'm a I'm a relative newcomer to Canada. I've been here since 2017. Hockey is a fantastic sport. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful sport to watch. I learned to skate from from scratch because of hockey. Um, I will probably never play hockey, but I've played it on like a pond. It's fun. It is a fantastic sport and it does form a core part of identity for many Canadians. I would love to see it fixed rather than abandoned. I mean, Canada's not going to abandon hockey, but you know what I mean? Like I would love to see, you know, the incredible women making inroads in Mm -hmm. the sports. And I don't just mean the current athletes who are obviously the best women hockey players in the world. I also mean the numerous women now that are very senior in NHL organizations. Yep. You know, um, I, 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 I don't want to talk for others with regards to like diversity in hockey, but I, I think there is at least a lot of activism going on now. It is being noticed more, whether we see like actual proper change to address the numerous issues that um, a lot of people have brought up. I don't know, but I see something happening, especially with the involvement of more women in the sport in terms of like the NHL and things, um, there's a lot to be solved, but I would love to see it be solved rather than, you know, people stopping putting their kids in hockey. No, I think that's, I think that's true. And I I was interested in your perspective as someone who has come in and adopted the game and, and fallen in love with it like somebody else, but, but has a bit of a, didn't grow up with that romanticized version of it, right. That, that so many of us did. And yeah, it's, I, I said forever that hockey is my favorite sport, but I hate the NHL. And now we've gone beyond that, right? Like the World Juniors for years and years and years was my favorite event of the year. And now with the Hockey Canada logo slapped all over it, all over the TSN broadcasts, all these things, I don't know how that's going to feel this year. I will watch it because I do want to support these kids and it's important for our show and all these sorts of things. But this undoubtedly will be top of mind as yeah i think i I think i think as hockey fans we've just got to be aware of it and we've got to demand better from uh organizations which run hockey and and frankly you know fans have got to demand more from their team i think frankly us being leafs fans we're probably fans of the franchise which is doing arguably maybe the most as much as anybody at least yeah yeah i'm not necessarily saying it's enough or anything but like for example you know you see um you know, players and, and Dubas and various other people at Toronto Pride, I like that. Yep. Like, I'm an LGBT uh, person. Um, 
I, I think it's important for them to do that. Is, yes. And, you know, you see, uh, my, I think it was Bunting and Riley and maybe a couple of others at Pride this year. And they don't care. They're good guys. Like, I'm pretty sure they're not there just, you know, they seem to have fun. They're not there just because they've been told to be there. Right. Like, I believe they're there because they're good guys and they yeah, don't Riley care. Riley goes and every year, I believe. Riley um, goes every year. And yeah. there's there's a, a bunch of good players. I think Braden Holtby, um, who yep. – uh, can't remember who he plays for at the moment, but you know Dallas. when he was when he was that's it when he was at the Caps went to Pride every single year. I think he was the only I could be wrong about this, but I think he was the only Caps player to do that. And like these are good guys, yep. and um, you know Mitch Marner uh, had his invitational recently, and like half of the players that were there were his Leafs teammates and various other like previous teammates from his teams, and then the rest of them were from the Canadian women's team, right. Right. I'm not I'm not saying these people individually deserve a bunch of credit. I'm just saying I do see good things happening of course. I, as I, well in hockey. And, and I honestly, I, it doesn't feel like it right now, but I believe the majority are good. It's just yeah. the, the, the minority is so loud and gross that that's what we're focused on, right? And, yeah, and, and is, we have to be. Not, yeah, these are not people just doing minor bad things. That means we don't like them. They're like actively committing crimes, right? And horrendous things like sexual assault. So, I, you know, you can't just carry those people if you want a good community or organization or whatever. It is you can't just ignore the fact that they're there because what they do is so despicable that they bring everything down. So those people need to be sorted out. We're not talking about people who are kind of like grumpy and have said a few off things in, in, right. in the media or whatever. This is not what we're talking about. We're talking about the people who literally probably should not, you know, be given the privilege of playing professional hockey because of things they have done or things that they do. I think that's right. And uh, I'm glad you were here to help shine a light on it. I was fascinated by your perspective. Like I said, as someone who loves the sport as anybody that I talked to on this show, but someone who came to it from a different uh, approach or a different, that sometimes when you grow up, you know, having watched, you know, world juniors every year at Christmas, you're just like, wow, loved it. I love it when I see that hockey Canada logo every Christmas and you're just like, it's not going to feel like that anymore. Right. It's, and maybe, maybe if nothing else, like I said, I circle back to, to at Canada day this year and, and, and even coming out of the freedom convoy, the flag right now has become a thing of controversy and that sucks. And I don't know, I don't have a strong opinion as to whether or not that means the flag needs to be changed or whether or not, you know, we need certainly politically and culturally across this country, we have them some things that need to be reconciled, but the flag has become a thing of conversation that I never thought it would be. And this is a different sort of thing, but it reminds me of that when I think about Hockey Canada now and how many times, look, I've been to... Uh, the women's worlds here in Ottawa. I've been to uh, world junior pre tournament shows. Some of my favorite hockey every year, like I said, is the world juniors. Um, I get as excited as anybody about the Olympics, both for the men's and the women's teams. And I just, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that hockey Canada logo right now. Maybe when this is all said and done, certainly the people at the top need to be purged, but once that's done, do we need to start the process of moving to the Canadian Hockey Association or a different name and logo altogether and a different organization? Or is this a thing where we need to figure out and rectify and clean up everything that's wrong and then begin the healing under this banner? I, I don't know what the right approach is, but I know it's not going to be easy either way. 
Yeah, what I will say is is both with regards to the Canadian flag and the Hockey Canada logo is flags and logos don't do anything wrong. No, you're right about that. Generally speaking, what they what they people symbolize. learn that they represent changes. Um, and as somebody who's British and has seen their home country go through a heck of a lot of turmoil in recent years, first with Brexit, more recently with all sorts of terrible politics and, and a terrible pandemic response where a bunch of people died more so than they should have done. Yeah. I feel kind of similarly about the British flag. Um, like I, I see a Union Jack now and I don't like it. Like I really just don't like seeing it. Right. But I was thinking about this when I was thinking about the, you know, the convoys and the Canadian flag. So I, at some point, probably before the end of this year, will become a Canadian citizen. Awesome. And it's typical because they're done by Zoom. The citizenship ceremonies are done by Zoom hmm. at the moment to have a flag there if you want to, like a Canadian flag. Some people choose the flag of their home country as well. Some people choose uh, a flag of something they think is important, whether it be like, for example, the Every Child Matters uh, flag or the Pride flag, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking, will I have a Canadian flag? And I, I pretty much have decided absolutely I will. Because it is also up for people to kind of reclaim that flag. Yeah, yeah. Mean what they want it to mean. Because in the UK, I feel like we completely lost the Union Jack to like over nationalist people, Brexity right. people, that kind of thing. And I don't think we're at that stage yet in Canada because the people who convoy or whatever are really quite a small majority, minority. small minority yeah. still. So I'm, I'm not going to tell anyone what to do, but with regards to the Canadian flag, I would kind of reclaim it for the things that we like and that we feel Canada is, is good at and, you know, supporting athletes and, and that kind of thing. You, you can, you can, I think, be proud of, of where you're from or, or where you live. I, you know, I'm never going to be from here, but I will be a Canadian at some point mm-hmm. and you can be proud of its symbols, but also be conscious of the problems yeah. with it. Demand better, insist that we continue to, exactly. I've had multiple conversations with a few different people, you know, over the last six months or so that aren't like calling out for an all new flag, but are self-conscious about flying the current one. Will other people around me think I'm part of a group that I'm not part of? And that's the part that I think is hard for people, right? Is And it's become controversial yeah. and, and that's difficult. I feel... There are, there are several valid reasons for not liking the Canadian flag, but I would say that the convoyers are really the tip of, like, yeah. the, a, a minor reason in comparison to some things. You know, for example, Canada's history with Indigenous folks. I say history, yep. but also current, current issues and historical issues. Um, you know, it, the convoyers really a minority. We know that because um, there are stats on that. I, I don't think we, you can let convoyers take away the your your if you feel a affinity towards the canadian flag i don't think you let them take it away there are other reasons not to like the canadian flag and, and i would say many of them are more valid if that makes any sense i'm 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 honestly i'll be honest with you here vicky i like i smiled sitting here hearing that you're gonna have it like to me that's that's reassuring right like that's you're right like there is a reason to and I don't want to be dramatic, like fight for it or, or whatever, but like, no, this is still, this represents something and it needs to be better and it can be better and we have problems to solve, but this flag yeah. is important and it, it represents something good. And I'm honestly, yeah. I'm happy to hear that you're leaning towards having it as part of your background. Or yeah, I will have it. I will also, you know, have a probably an every child matters flag to signify yeah. the fact that I recognize 
the huge issues that Canada has with regards to relationships and provisions for its Indigenous people. I have two very good friends who are Indigenous who have, you know, both are excellent, some of my best friends, and have also, I've been to marches with them. They both taught me a very lot, a lot about their own experience and things. So I feel very, as a soon-to-be new Canadian, I feel very passionate about the fact that I must always work to recognize and as much as I can to rectify you know those issues I think that's so, awesome I think that's I think I'll probably have both yeah right, um, exactly. on Thursday night here the uh it was it was kind of cool and, and TSN on their broadcast to their credit stuck with it uh the Ottawa Red Blacks had a home game here and um I don't know exactly the whole process no doubt you're more familiar with it than I am uh but the final ceremony where you officially become a Canadian I, I you know, they did at center field at halftime during the football game. And oh, wow. this was, um, you know, most of the media pointed out and, and whatever, this was maybe the quietest halftime that the Red Blacks have ever seen. Like shut all the music off and they said way more people than normal stayed in their seats, like quietly listening to this thing go on. And then the ovation when they told these people, you are all now official Canadian, and those are the stories that make you want to keep that flag meaning something, right? Like it was so cool to see not just all those people there, but everyone around them, you know, cheering them on, welcoming them to, uh, to whatever, and who, who knows how long they'd actually been here, but to becoming official Canadians. And then they, uh, there was a impromptu singing of the national anthem and, and whatever. Well, so it, yeah, it, it's pretty cool to to have stuff like that happen. And I have heard of different ceremonies like that, mostly before the pandemic being done in, in different places like that, but it's, it's very cool to, and that is something important to keep in mind and how many people, despite Canada's problems, still badly want to come here and, and, and view this as a, a safe place to come and raise their families and things like that. So I think, you know, based on everything we've talked about here today, that's probably an important thing for us all to, uh, to keep in mind. Yeah, it's a gr- it's a good place, and there is room for improvement as with anywhere. So I think the best way to do that is to accept the things that Canada is good at and strive to make better the things that it could improve. Vicky, I think this conversation went far deeper than I ever thought it would when we sat down <laughs> for a pint on a Friday afternoon. But I'm glad it did. I, I think you brought a a tremendous perspective here that uh, that is important to to get out there. So I thank you for for doing it. Sure, thank you. Uh, how was the, uh, I assume you've gone through both your beers over there. How'd they treat you? Yes. I've, 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 I've gone through my, my sparkling water and my beer. So yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> they both treated you all right. Yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that was all right, Matt. I think we got into the weeds a little bit, but it's, uh, it's, important. it's important. It is important. And, um, that's sort of, look, it's, it's more difficult over, uh, you know, online, like we're doing it right now. But when this show started, that was the whole point was, Let's sit down and like a pub table, have a beer and just kick around the issues of the day. And, uh, I think we did that here a bit. So, uh, I think that's. Well, next time we'll talk about exclusively beer and hockey. eh? (laughs) (laughs) Give me a little break. (laughs) That'd be awesome. Uh, with that, we'll wind things down here. Don't forget Steve Lloyd is on the show on Monday morning to join me. We'll talk about everything going on in the world of sports at this point. Uh, the Red Blacks have dropped another one. The Blue Jays back in action this weekend. We'll have tons to get to with, uh, with our buddy Steve Lloyd, so join us then. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you're hearing us right now, and uh, give us a follow on social media at Tall Can Audio. For Vicky Forster, my name is Matt Robinson. We will catch you all next time on Tall Can Audio. There's only so much time we can kill here.
listening. Make sure to subscribe to Tall Can Audio on your favorite podcast app and find us on social media at Tall Can Audio. 